Hello, and welcome to episode nine or ten. Uh, we haven't figured out if we're going to be putting some of the other interviews up first of the Real Professional Podcast. As always, I am your host, Ted, from uh, Dread XP. I'm Jesse. I'm Trevor. My name is Remy. Yeah, so we have a pretty full house today, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, we got some uh, cool stuff to talk about. We got uh, Jesper Kidd on later, a composer who's worked on a number of video game soundtracks. So, uh, DJ, can you can you go ahead and drop that sick beat? Beat drops. great yes. good at least someone stepped up to respond amazing. Uh, so it's it's been a it's been a pretty tight week we got some interesting news that came out uh there's a uh suda 51 slash sweary uh crossover project that might not exist it might just be the fever dream of both of them while they were blackout drunk uh so go ahead and look up hotel barcelona if you want to know all about uh their uh Illusions of, of making a game together with Devolver, which apparently Devolver did not know about. So that's an interesting story. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's a new uh, Dota Underlords patch, which will be only relevant to the, the people out there that like shitty mobile games, because now Dota Underlords is officially a shitty mobile game. And uh, I'm a little bit sad about that. You know, before I uh, go into my big story this week, did either do it, did any of you have anything you uh, any news stories you wanted to talk about? Wow, this is a whole class in the Quadic. It had like a Kickstarter update. Looks pretty sick. Yeah, I saw oh, yeah. the Kickstarter update for that. It's uh, the 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 update was hot off the heels of comments in the comment section of why haven't we gotten an update in a very long time? Well, you know, uh, th- those people, you know, they're they're just glowing after this update. You know, mm. that's that's all I can say about that. Yeah. So, um, uh, what do you uh, what do you have to say about that game? What's your what's your pitch? Uh, you know, I think it's looking pretty cool. I hope it's released soon. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone in this call is hoping that it releases soon. For full disclosure, Remy over here is making a VR game called Classroom Aquatic. He is currently pitching his own game, which is allowed on the podcast. We're fine with that. What's it about? Classroom Aquatic? Classroom Aquatic. I assume yeah, an aquatic classroom. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's a uh, game where you play as a foreign exchange diver student in a school full of dolphins. Now, dolphins, as you know, they're very smart creatures. They eat a lot of fish, and that's brain food. So these tests that you're taking are just very, very difficult. In fact, they're way too hard for you. So you have to use your VR headset in order to look around the classroom, make sure the teacher is not looking at you, make sure the students are distracted, and cheat off of their tests. Are you going to incorporate the fact that dolphins get really horny and have sex with humans frequently? That is something that is, like, the first question I'm asked by a lot of people, and my response is, <laughs> well, no, no, uh, but, no, we're super excited to play the game. You know, it's been in development for so long that when he first got asked that question, he said, no, Steam won't let us, into uh, nowadays, where apparently that's how you get sold on Steam. What was that game that I showed you? Uh, uh, Nephilim. Nephilim, uh, the Nephilim, monster breeding yeah. simulator? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah. 
Scam uh, is sponsored by Remy. If if someone uh, would uh, subscribe to your one thousand dollar a month tier on Patreon, would you add dolphin sex for them specifically? I don't have a Patreon. Uh, if someone wants to pay for me to set up a Patreon, I'll do that. I guess. Yeah, yeah. You could have the dolphin sex game Patreon. It sounds pretty profitable. I've seen. Have you actually like any of you ever looked into like the dark side of Patreon? Those games that are making like fifty thousand dollars a month to like have furries have sex with each other. Don't I know it? I'm very involved in that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I swear to God, it's just an academic research that I do in that. I don't, I don't subscribe to any of these. Well, I, in my case, it's purely pornographic. Is is Patreon? Are, are Patreon contributions public? Like, can you check to see what someone's Patreon contributions are? I hope not. Not that I, I'm asking for a friend. Remy, yes. do you know? I don't know anything about Patreon. Yeah, that's that's fair. Anyways, I want to get into the uh, the big news story this week, which is something that I've been dying to talk to everyone I know about. Um, so have any of you uh, heard of this small indie studio called Bethesda Softworks? You've heard of them, yeah. Yeah, they've made some, some pretty uh, under-the-radar titles like uh, Fallout 3 mm-hmm. and uh, Fallout 4. Uh, they did not make Fallout New Vegas. That was Obsidian, who recently came out with uh, The Outer Worlds, which review pending on JetXP.com. Uh, but uh, have any of you heard of uh, their ill-fated attempt to make a survival game called Fallout 76? Yes. Anyone have any experience with Fallout 76? Yes. Trevor, you said you played it a little. <clears throat> yeah, I played uh, when it was free, uh, the free weekend on um, PS4. Oh, that's uh, right. It was free. It was I free for a that. minute because they wanted to just be like, please, someone play this video game. Yeah, this is around E3, I think. They were like, here, yes. it's free for three days. Exactly. Just try it. We, we promise it's better. Right. And uh, that's when I hopped on the Fallout 76 train. Um, promptly hopped off. And uh, I, I really wanted to like it, you guys. Um, I wanted to be like, because I, I like the Fallout franchise. I think it's great. Um, and uh, I was disappointed just like everyone else who's who's kind of played the game yeah i um i reviewed fallout 76 when it came out i gave it a two and a half out of five and it's funny because i remember being afraid that that was being too positive it is yeah i like i i i was being my my recollection of the review is that i was being overly generous you were and i didn't like so i was talking to uh my friend on 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 Facebook, and she was like, "Oh, I was like, yeah, I, I I rated it too highly, and in my in my brain space, I had rated it like a three and a half out of five, but then when I looked back, it was like a two out of five, and I was like two and a half out of five, and even then, it had lodged in my brain as having been too generous. I remember you were in the 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 warm glow of Fallout seventy six for like a week and a half. You were pretty positive about it." Yeah. Um, in the same way that somebody who, you know, buys something shitty but spent a lot of money on it um, is, like, trying to convince... I mean, he didn't. Yeah. Spend. To be clear, I don't buy video games. Yeah. They get sent to me for free in exchange for good reviews. So, like, the person who buys something that they've been looking forward to and it's really expensive and they get it and it sucks. And they're like, you know, I guess it, you know, it's not that bad. Well, it's like, I, I really wanted Fallout 76 to be good, and, and the way I think that most people want Bethesda games to be good, because, like, Bethesda games, by and large, are 
like very janky. Like even Skyrim, which is like their most polished game, is like you can put a basket over someone's head and rob their store. It's like there's like janky shit you can do, um, which is part of the charm. But Fallout 76, all of the jank was like uncharming jank. Now, now Remy over here is a, a big Fallout 4 fan. This is news to me. No, you're a big old school Fallout fan. I like the old school Fallout games. They had a nice charm to it. They really did amazing stuff to, I mean, really polish up what uh, force uh, tile like uh, uh, tactics games were. I mean, before that, there there wasn't as much polish in uh, in that genre. I mean, and I've said this before. When you look at like the top ten, top twenty best tactics games. Fallout's there just because it's really hard to do that right of chess with guns or swords or something like that. Yeah, or in Fallout 2's case, uh, you you pick an intelligence character and then you get killed by a scorpion two seconds in and have to restart as a strength character. Um, That's common in a lot of those games, especially the ones that are based off of old D&D systems, 2D or 3 edition. Uh, but as well, like the charm of those games was more of a... Uh, uh, one-to-one sort of representation of what it was referencing. You had Boyna's Dog, you had Mad Max and stuff like that. And my problem with the Fallout series in the modern era is that they reference the original games and then just kind of popular pop culture. There isn't really this this pool of new media that they can, like, synthesize. And it kind of has, like, season 14 or 28 or whatever you're on for Family Guy. It's no longer we're making jokes. It's we're making jokes about the jokes we made. Well, the, the thing is also about Fallout, the old school ones. Like what we remember the most about the old school Fallouts is like the variety and options and choices that you could have to uh, like actually accomplish your objectives, you know? Yeah, there was just so much of it. And of course, with how expensive it is to make games nowadays, you don't want 20 different ways of solving one thing if it means that one right. player is potentially not going to see 19 of those. That's just a bad investment from a producer's eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, you know, you would come up to a computer, right? And it would be like, oh, you have to deactivate this bomb. And you could either have, like, done a quest before to have the deactivation codes. Or you could have a hacking skill that's high enough. Or you could have, like, science that's high enough. Or if your strength was high enough, you could break the computer. And, like, each of these would have different outcomes. And that was, like, one of the really cool things about the old school fallouts that I think um, the only game that's really like capitalized on this style is Fallout New Vegas, which everyone here has played Fallout New Vegas, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I don't think Remy has though. I, I just also don't kind of like the gameplay. I'm a big fan of shooters, but I've gotten a lot more critical of like the mechanics and pointing at things until they die is just not like my style of fun these days, but I've heard it's a great game. I've heard the RPG elements are really good. Well, that's, and that's, that kind of defaults back to the Bethesda jank, which is that like Bethesda games, because of the engine they use are basically just like, I find a bear. I have swords. I hit bear until bear dies. There's not like complexity to it. No. Skyrim was the, like my friends were hyping it up uh, when it came out for Mm -hmm. months and I played it as just, the simplest, dumbest gameplay. Yeah, exactly. I hope you like holding S and clicking. I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the, the 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 primary tactical move in those games is backpedal while swing, yes. um, or becoming a stealthy archer, which is yeah. what everyone. That's just the only to. like half like tactical. Yeah, like, and even in the the 
FPS uh, Fallout games, the unique mechanic is vets, right? Yeah, where, yeah, where the vet like, system. You can kind of pause time and then select, and not even worry about clicking. Yeah, pointing and clicking, just have not the game really do it for you. Not understood why they try to meld those two things. It feels like two different games being shoved into one that doesn't really feel elegant. I can tell you why. It's because in Fallout 76 they melded them because of server lag. <laughs> but that's that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, as critical as you can be of every single decision that a major video game company makes, I always found the, that like Fallout, the VAT system was like a good way to compromise between the old school fan base and this newer 3D style. I mean, look, there's just, there's no fucking way that Bethesda, like a company as large as Bethesda is going to come out with like a new isometric Fallout game. That's for the people that make Wasteland. Wasteland did a good job, but that's like a low-budget indie thing to do. Underrail did better. Play Underrail. It's great. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's Underrail's a good game. Small indie studio. There's no way that, like, a company with a budget of Bethesda is going to come out with that. Which is a real shame, because they would, you know, with a budget that size, it would make something great. But instead, they got to make this game that's so impossibly shitty <laughs> uh, that you, they have to add, like, a... Spoiler auto- alert! We're not talking about 76 yet. God. Yeah, they, they have to add, like, an, like an auto play the game for you mechanic called VATS because it's so not fun to shoot. And I, I'm trying, the point I'm trying to get to is that, like, the reason that people were hyped about Fallout 76 is, like, a good reason. Because one of the things that Fallout games have been losing over over time, as Remy mentioned, is the RPG elements. That kind of, like, I can come up to a computer and my intelligence is one, so only a dumb guy would think that the password is password and it worked. Like, that's an old school Fallout scenario that you run into. And with the emergent kind of gameplay of 76 being kind of this like open world game, the possibility that your different skills would be able to interact with the world in different ways that are kind of created by other players, other fans, those, those kinds of like, I make a town and in this town, uh, everything is like just, just tooled for people that have spammed agility. You can't get through this town unless you have nine agility. Like that's kind of fun. And that's the, that's the essence of the Fallout world that a lot of people were hoping you would be able to create yourself with Fallout 76. So, like, the idea of why Fallout 76, everyone can, like, kind of roll their eyes, oh, an open world crafting Fallout. It's just another open world crafting game. It's just another battle royale game. But, like, that idea is, like, actually, like, a really, really, really solid one. But I think we all wish that game existed. Yeah, I mean, everybody wished that leading up to it. Correct. I mean, even before... I, it was I'm explaining why I had hope for the game, no, okay? I mean, <laughs> what I'm saying is, even before it was announced, people were like, oh, Fallout would be so cool if it was multiplayer. Yeah. So, yeah. It- yeah, I think the most popular mod on um, ModDB for Fallout 4 or Fallout 3... the Big is the, Titty Cock mod. ...is the Big Titty Cock mod, and then right after that <laughs> uh, is the multiplayer mod, which is necessary in order to install the Sex With Your Friends mod. So, the uh, Striking Vipers mod, if you will. Um... But anyways, I played Fallout 76, and um, there was there is stuff to like in Fallout 76. Um, the the map design is the most unique we've ever seen in a Fallout game. You can go from the first area, which is kind of your traditional Fallout wastelandish stuff, to a giant like mine area that's covered in black soot. You have to get gas masks for because there's constant like storm clouds coming in. Then you dive into these lava mines, um, and then if you go to the north area you get to um like an abandoned theme park and then there's this other areas like the blood swamp with all these like 
plague crocodile stuff. There's like some really cool diversity in it. That's cool to know because we I don't think we went past the first area. Yeah, you just got to the Appalachia part. Yeah, it's like yeah, the, we were, the hills. We were, shooting, the we were shooting those dumb trash can robots. <laughs> they were the only enemy. And we were like, okay, I've seen enough. Yeah, you shoot those for a while. Um, but then there was also some like really cool group quests that they've since taken out of the game. Um, like there was this quest to turn on a power plant. And you go turn on the power plant. You do all the quests to turn on the power plant. And then for 24 hours, the power plant is on. And all of the nearby places that need power, like the factories and stuff, will work. And you can then go claim those factories. And um, it gave you, like, a really good reason to interact with the world. Unfortunately, the infrastructure was not there to, like, support it. Like, every time you dropped out of a server, you would come back into a different server. So, like, let's say that you went and you did that power plant quest. And then the game crashed as it frequently did, and you re-logged in, you'd be in a different server where you didn't do that power plant quest, and you don't own that factory. So it's like, I have to stay logged in. Like, this is like the, the complete antithesis of what these persistent open-world multiplayer games are supposed to be, which is that I, like, binge for, like, six hours, and then I, like, go eat dinner and come back, and, like, my thing is still there. But that wasn't how this worked. Um, the only thing that traveled between servers was your camp that you created, um, but even then, if you logged into a new server and someone's camp was there, your camp just disappeared. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, some of the other big problems with Fallout 76 is that you had, first off, you couldn't build your camp with other people, and there was a size, like a size limit to your camp. So these big sprawling towns that everyone wanted to make, you couldn't do that. Like you literally just couldn't. The game wouldn't let you build towns with other people. And you couldn't make camps like close <laughs> to each other. Because people no. weren't allowed in your camp, if I recall. Yeah, so you couldn't... Because your turrets would just shoot them. Yeah, you couldn't connect camps either. Um, no, your turrets wouldn't shoot them. You'd have to be active as hostile for them to shoot them. But like you just couldn't do it. Like The game didn't have mechanics for it. And also, there was no reason to build a camp. Like You couldn't... You could store your loot there, and you could have your crafting tables there. But you couldn't like have merchants and stuff. So there was no reason to visit someone else's camp. You'd like never really want to. Because like you can't steal their loot either because their loot is bound to their account so even if you open their loot chest you just see your own loot which is like fucking terrible yeah and the big the tale of the tape for fallout 76 was like every time they'd patch the game to try to make it better they'd fuck something up completely so there was one patch where i was using energy weapons and they're like okay well uh in this patch we're gonna make it so that explosives will uh take more durability damage because like for some reason they just didn't have durability damage on explosive like grenade launchers um but then for some reason that patch also made it that like laser like shotguns any weapon that was shooting multiple projectiles would take durability for each projectile fired so my laser shotgun would break in three shots i was like oh fucking awesome and then for some reason they also just halved melee damage in that patch and it was like oh so now none of my stuff works this is fucking great i was going as a laser melee guy but now i'm just fucked and that was, like, every single patch, something like that would happen. Like, in one patch, they made it so that, like, the, the nukes that would go off um, never dissipated. So, like, <laughs> all of a sudden, you just, like, load into a server where it's completely irradiated. Which, honestly, makes it a little more interesting, because that's how a nuke is supposed to be. I, I mean, if that was their intended design, that would be fucking hilarious. Um, but, like, I, I played probably around, like, 70 to 100 hours of Fallout 76, and my end overall impression was like, wow, this could have been great. And so I've been looking and watching and waiting for new additions to come out. And at E3, they announced the Battle Royale mode, mm-hmm. which is, I don't 
care what your opinion is on Battle Royale. It's more content. And then they added human NPCs, which is something that they had been wanting, people had been wanting for a long time. So you could like actually make human NPCs in your towns, interact with other humans. Uh, they added merchants to your towns, like all these things that people were like asking for. Uh, they made it so that like charisma had a point because previously charisma was only for like group buffs, which like if you want to play Fallout 76 by yourself, you would never use that stat. They made it so that charisma would be used for like talking roles with other um, NPCs. There's all this kind of cool stuff that you could do. And so I was actually like, hey, maybe the future of this game isn't so dead after all. And the big thing is, is that all of these updates were coming out for free. Like, it's all these constant free updates. And um, as any video game developer can tell you, constantly pumping out content for free is, like, expensive. Like, the, the game... Remy, you were talking about this games-as-a-service model on one of the previous podcasts about how it's destroying, like, smaller companies. It's not destroying. It's just that it's really hard to compete against that. I mean, there's more and more uh, like uh, data coming out that people who play one type of game are not going to play multiple other games. And I think it's just the indie scene that's struggling against like a wider audience when people don't want to fund smaller indie titles that haven't grown in a lot of like you know user base acquisition, where AAA is kind of dominating that field. So it's not that less people are playing indie games; it's that less people are funding indie games because they've kind of gotten a sense of like where they want to put their money, and it's not in your uh, LucasArts-inspired indie game about your first relationship and a dream you once had. Yeah. They want to get free-to-play Match 3 mobile games, and they want to get something that looks like the latest polished title that Activision or uh, Blizzard or or anyone else put out. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel that. Um, <clears throat> it, it does... I mean, video games at the bottom, at the end of the day, are like a business. And so, you know, the market's going to go with what's most profitable. So, anyways... Into what we're talking about today with Fallout 76, the most recent news. Uh, Fallout 76, the game promised that all content will be free forever for everyone, has come out with a subscription service. Ooh. A monthly fee. Who could have seen that coming? A, a battle pass, if you will. Now, this is very common. Most free-to-play games have some kind of monthly subscription you can sign up for if you want. They, like Fortnite does this. Uh, I've been playing Dauntless recently, which is a Monster Hunter clone. Pretty good. Um, they have a battle pass. It's like 10 bucks a month. And, um, you know, it's, it offers you extra cosmetic stuff for, for funsies. Now, <clears throat> the Fallout 76 battle pass. Uh, so I understand why you'd want to have a battle pass. That being said, the Fallout 76 battle pass is, as someone that likes the game and had seen the issues with the game, one of the most egregious buttfucks in like battle pass history. So what do you get for signing up for the fallout subscription service? First off you get private worlds. That is something that people have been wanting for a long time is the ability to have a world with just you and your friends to play. It's you and up to seven of your friends. I don't know exactly why it's only you and seven because the main game allows you to have 16 players on a map, but there you have it. Uh, some of the, the buttfuckery with these private worlds is that only the person that owns the battle pass can turn on the private world and they have to be playing for anyone else to be in it. So you log in, you log into your private world, your friends can come in, you have to go feed the dog or go to bed, everyone else has to stop playing. So, you know, that's that's an issue. Also, people have been finding that these private worlds that were supposed to be fresh, brand new, just 
here's your box private world. You can open it up yourself, play a fresh world for yourself. Uh, they have been spawning in and finding that the NPCs are dead, mm. that certain quests have already been completed. Oh. Uh, they are relogging in later to find that someone has uh, messed up their base. So basically, it turns out these private worlds are not so private after all, which is probably why they turn off when you log out, is because they're probably cycling through the same 12 private worlds. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> That's a shame. It is a shame. Uh, next up, you have a scrap box. So one of the, the big problems with Fallout 76 is that uh, in order to craft things, you'd have to have scrap. Now, scrap takes weight. This is pretty common in survival games is that, you know, I, I go harvest wood. I can only carry so much wood back to my base. Uh, Remy, you've played Minecraft. Sure. What do you, what do, you do with all your stuff in Minecraft? You, you go mining, you get all your gold. Hmm? You put it in a box. Right. And so you craft a box. You put that box somewhere safe. You put a little sign over the box saying, Remy's special box. Maybe you'll put a little lock on the box that has, a, has like a redstone lock. Maybe a secret box to hide it from your friends. What, what if I were to tell you, Remy, that in Minecraft, you could only build one box? Is it an infinite box? It is not an infinite box. Oh, can I buy more boxes with more Battle Pass bucks? You cannot. There's only one box. I mean, now that sounds like a dumb idea. Yes. Let's say if you make another box, it's the same box with the same loot in it. Ooh. So you can, you can make more boxes. They just all hold the same inventory. And it's a limited inventory space. Yes. So you, your character can hold 400 weight, up to 400, based on your strength, other modifiers. And your inventory, your box inventory, is also 400. Forever. <laughs> so let's say that you've been playing the game for a long time. Yeah, so let's say you've been playing the game for a while. <laughs> you've collected a lot of things, you know, um, some of the rare items, a lot of... Uh, so you're carrying a lot of stuff. What right. Do, what do you do when you reach this peak of, of 800 weight? Uh, you get fucked. <laughs> it's, it's so, it was such an egregiously bad design yeah. that they were like, oh, now we've doubled the box limit. Now you can have 800. And it was, people were like, but where am I going to keep my power armors? And they were like, oh, don't worry. Those like despawn when you leave the map anyways. They're like, wait, I can't keep my power armors. And it just like kept increasing these questions of like, why the fuck is it made this way? And, uh, you know, as we just said, compared to Minecraft in which you can carry, you know, these big blocks of stone, which, you know, by size of a small boulder probably weigh 500 pounds <laughs> yeah. uh, in stacks of 60, and you can carry 60 of them, which means that that's 2.4 times 10 to the 108 You can carry 64. 64. My yeah. bad. I'll have to redo my calculations. You'll have to redo your calculations, so, Jesse. Get back to us when the math is finished. So, an impossible, impossibly high amount of stuff yeah. in your pockets. Your inventory, mention- your inventory in Minecraft is only limited to how many boxes you build and how many creepers you can keep away from exploding those boxes. Yeah. Like, that's it. In Fallout 76, you have a set limit, which makes it, like, let's say you want to have, like, hey... I want to have a loadout that's like my, my energy weapon loadout and a melee weapon loadout and a gun loadout. And, oh, I also want to have, I don't know, some construction materials to build up my base. Nope. You got to pick. I mean, why the fuck even have a base if you can't hold anything in there? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, it's almost like they didn't fucking plan this before they made the goddamn game. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's just a reskin of Fallout 4 with some new areas. So, the point I'm making is that the next feature on... The battle pass, sorry, the Fallout First Pass is a scrap box, unlimited storage for your crafting components. 
which is something they should have just had in the base fucking game. Um, by the way, side note, people are finding that they will log back in and their scrap box has for some reason deleted all their scraps. So that's a thing. Uh, you also get a survival tent. It is a basically a second base that you can just put up real quick. It makes itself. Everything's in the same spot. So you don't have to go through all that nasty uh, base building waste of time every time you want to place down a base. Um, the second fast travel point, you know, gives you a sleeping bag, all your basic needs. Well, it's so cool that Fallout has now two fast travel points instead of one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, there's multiple fast travel points, but you have to spend in-game currency to use them. Oh, you can fast travel in Fallout 76, but you have to pay money for it. I forgot to mention that. But you can always fast travel back to your base for free. But if you then want to go back to where you were going, now you have to have the battle pass so you can go between you know your questing zone and your base. You know, I, I bet they did like a, you know, like a Google form or some, uh, you know, like they asked a bunch of players what they liked the most, but for some reason, like the the results were flipped, and they're like, "Oh, players <laughs> love it when the game sucks." <laughs> players fucking love. Um, but yeah, they just they clicked the arrow, and they thought the down arrow meant like it was going in ascending order, but it was actually descending order. Oh, jeez. Well, we got to do what the players like. <laughs> it's just a one bad Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, it's like when uh, fuck, what was that rocket where they like had half. Metric and half uh, Imperial, and yeah. ended up smashing into Venus. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very similar to yeah. to a shuttle explosion. Except this yeah. is worse than the Challenger. Yeah, this is worse than the Challenger. Um, next up is you get sixteen hundred and fifty atoms a month for use in the atomic shop. Now I will be straight up. I don't give a fuck about their in-game currency, and I don't care about any of the controversy about that. They were like, "Oh my god, it's twenty dollars to buy the Star Spangled Banner Banner Power Armor," and I'm like. No, it's zero dollars because you just don't buy it. Who gives a fuck? Like, it, it's a cosmetic item. And I, I will put on the record and say, if you whine about, like, cosmetic items being too expensive, like, that is, like, you are a pig. Like, you are a capitalist pig person. Like, you need to just, like, stop buying cosmetics and realize it's all a waste of money. It doesn't matter if your cosmetic item is 99 cents or $20 in a game. You shouldn't be spending money on either of those. Um, unless you want to support the developers. Hey, uh... The next up is is one of my favorites. It's the uh, you get the Ranger armor outfit, which is a cosmetic Ranger armor. And Remy, you will not be able to see this because you are currently living in Los Angeles, away from us in Phoenix. But when I saw the picture of this, I thought it was a joke. It looks like it's made. But of this blacks. is the actual picture. Have you seen it? Like I I saw that on the joke site, and I thought it was like a bad Photoshop. Yeah. But it is. Like, oh my god. That is the armor from New Vegas. Yeah, yeah, like, we, the game from they, New Vegas. The game they did not make. Um, well, yeah. also, that like, came out, what, 12 years ago? 12 years ago. Oh the, my god. Yeah, the, the iconic, yeah, Ranger armor, you know, it's got the goggles, um, you know, you can... Roll and it, does, didn't even, it doesn't even look good. It looks no, like it, shit. It looks like a promotional, like... If you, you ever, know, like, go onto figures. those, like, threads that are, like, the worst drawn comic book... Like panels and like it shows like how Captain America's chest is like ridiculously large and like how he looks dumb and like the proportions are, like oh, this looks guy. like a bad Photoshop. Yeah, like it's lazy. Yeah, Deep Fake has taught us better than this. Like they they need to really up their their Photoshop game. Um, and then of course the final thing you get is uh, icons and emotes. So you oh, know, lovely. Yeah, whatever. Everybody knows that emotes don't get lame immediately after using them once. Yeah, exactly. Now, now, Remy, I, I know that you're a huge cosmetics fan from your time in Dota 2. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, I've just explained to you everything that you get in this pass. How, how much could you expect to, you know, for the, the, the basic functionality of a game that works, how much do you expect they were charging for this monthly pass? I mean, if I had to go with like an industry standard AAA battle pass kind of thing, Probably fourteen ninety nine is where I'd put like a ballpark average for any AAA game doing a monthly subscription thing. Mm-hmm. Now this all sounds like a really bad amount of features, but I'll peg my guess at fourteen ninety nine a month or a month a or month. wow that's that's a high ball. It is thirteen dollars a month for the game to be basically functional, or a hundred dollars a year. Well, it doesn't say it's functional in the. That's not a part to, of it. To, to iron out issues that people have had day one and to add basic features to the game. Now... Yeah, that's the surprising thing, is that all of these things don't sound like, oh man, you're getting a battle pass, which are a lot of ancillary things that'll make the game uh, more expansive and fun, but aren't going to change the the overall capacity. We're going to give you like some unique stuff, but it's not going to be like generic features you'd expect to be in the game. This is a Having... Ba- Inventory space seems like something they'd just update to make this game playable. Right, yeah. They get what they've probably done, and uh, maybe this is the jaded you know, game developer in me, is they're looking at how many whales that they have that are continuing to play the game and purchasing, and they're saying, well, if they're going to continue playing this game, we might as well have a subscriber model and then just do small things while we tinker around and, and maybe turn this into a new title in two years anyway. I mean, yeah, this is a... This is a battle pass that is, but the feature is a week one patch. Yeah. There's a DLC for a patch. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that usually with these monthly subscriptions, um, you either have like the World of Warcraft model, where it's like, this game just costs money every month, which I understand. They have to like, yeah, they have to pay their employees. Um, And then you have like the, the, the free to play model of Battle Pass where it's like, hey, you can play the free-to-play model, which is like a shittier version of this MMO, or you can pay the monthly pass, which is like the full version of the game. But that's like for Chinese MMOs and shit, you know? Like, that's how... Uh, I don't... I, I'm trying to even think of one Arcage worked for a long time, but that's how a lot of, you know, modern-day MMOs work. You get the free version, or you pay for the upgraded version. Um, this is like... But for those upgraded versions, it's like 20% more loot, and... more experience. And also you get these special cosmetics. This is like, here's the functioning game. Like it's not these big perks you're getting. It's, hey, hey, you know those things that broke our game? Well, you don't have to deal with those anymore. But if you don't pay for it, you get a broken game. (laughs) And I'm like, what in the fuck are you doing? That's so absurd. I, I would be highly skeptical whether or not they're using this with a big marketing push in order to try and get new players involved. I think that this is a way to pay uh, themselves for updating a game that nobody except diehard fans wants. Yeah, so this is... Remy, you're on the money with that. This is the last gasp of, like, a dying title. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's certainly, like... How long has it been out? Six months? Nine months? Oh, no, over a year. Over a year? Yeah, they're not getting any new players. Certainly not out of this. You know, they probably just... Yeah, like Remy said, they got the, you know, 150 players, and they're like, okay, well, if we get 5% of them to buy this pass, damn, that's like 300 bucks. I mean, obviously, their their idea for the monetization was, hey, 
We're going to have people buy the game, which, by the way, this isn't a free game. This is a game you pay for. Well, or you get it bundled with, like, you know, uh, a blender or something, because apparently company, like, stores just can't give it away. I do remember big, big piles at Walmart. Yeah. They're probably still there. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, all stores are currently running a, running a buy one, get one free, buy one, any game, get a Fallout 76 for free. But, you know, they're... Their idea for monetization was to sell the goddamn game and then sell microtransactions through the Atomic Shop, which is how a lot of video games work nowadays. Uh, unfortunately, um, the the backlash to the Atomic Shop was why would I pay twenty dollars for a potted plant? For a potted plant, um, why would I pay ten dollars to for a Christmas tree emote? It's it's, it's ridiculous. Um, you could earn. Adam in game, by the way, by completing quests. By the time I finished playing Fallout 76, I think I had like $70 worth of their in game currency. Which is all the more insulting because, like, when they, uh, you know, they were supposed to release some backpack with it, some fancy, uh, you know, canvas bag, and they ended up giving everybody like a burlap sack. Yeah, so they were were supposed to be giving out a canvas bag and they gave out nylon. Yeah, and they're they're like, okay, well, we'll we'll make it up to you. Here's $25 worth of. you know, uh, atom points, and it's like okay, that's four hundred well, points. Didn't you see what happened with their Nuka Cola rum? So they were selling Nuka Cola rum, oh, which dark. is yeah. yeah. Trevor, do you know about this? The dark rum, yeah. It was uh, supposedly like a unique glass bottle. It looked really cool, um, you know, handcrafted rum or whatever. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, what was advertised and what players got was was vastly different. Uh, same with the canvas bag yeah. versus the nylon bag. <laughs> I think Nuka Cola uh, Dark or whatever uh, came in like a plastic bottle that yeah. that like pulled apart, and then there was just like a shitty bottle of like Seagrams on the inside. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was like a it was like um like a it was a plastic bottle, but it wasn't even like a fully. Forge plastic. It was like one of those like shitty clamshells that you could just like break open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you get at like toys at like Burger King in the nineties. <laughs> you know, right? It, it's fucking ridiculous. And it, so, like every single this is what I was saying. Every single time they try to do something with Fallout seventy six, mm-hmm. they don't just like miss the mark. They colossally fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like it's it's almost like a Three Stooges sketch at this point. You know, it's like every time they're just like falling so hard on their face that's almost comedy. Like, I wonder if like in ten years we're gonna find out that like who's the who's the Bethesda guy? Todd Howard. Todd Howard is yeah. like actually just like a like a like a like a simulation and it was all just like a joke. Sure, sure. Yeah, he's Mr. Bean at the helm and Yeah, yeah he's, he's trying real hard, you know, he's he's going out and he just uh he gets pie in the face. Or this he, is, he this is just like his through. thesis project for like mm-hmm. uh, theater school. And this is like he's just been doing it for like 20 years. He's going for like a PhD in like interpretive performance of like incompetent video game development. Yeah. And that's so funny, though, just because like Bethesda projects by and large, like get really good reception. Prey was a fucking awesome game. Prey was great. Yeah. Um, Rage 2 wasn't as great. But like, you know, I, Doom, Doom was fucking awesome. Hell yeah. And then... Fallout 76 is like, it, I know it's their B team. Like, I know this isn't their, their, their number one guys. They're all working on Elder Scrolls 6. But, uh, oh my God. I, I just, like I said, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like a play at this point. Mm-hmm. Like a comedy of errors or something. It's almost Shakespearean how, how terrible it keeps, it keeps, it keeps going. Remy, what's your take on all this? 
I just don't know what's going on with uh, with Todd Howard. I mean, he he's doing something wrong, and I know he's just the public face of it. So maybe yeah. it's getting built out by certain problems he's facing. Maybe they're having trouble transitioning a lot of their IPs to just making it. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe they're they've got poor management. All these ideas that they're coming out with just are not coming to fruition. Maybe they're being forced to work on an engine that they desperately need to update, but they can't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's confusing. Uh, I'll also just say that if you are someone who has been playing Fallout 76 and has bought the Battle Pass, then maybe when you purchase the $500 option that lets you grab lunch with Todd Howard, you can ask him these questions. Yeah, so the thing is, is that I, I actually, I need to back for a second because I don't want to, like, personally attack Todd Howard because I don't, like, uh, like, like you said, Remy, he's, it's very unlikely that it's Todd Howard behind the keyboard programming Fallout 76 and fucking up every time. I, no, I just, it's even worse. It's probably, he's just like, yeah, whatever. Give the team, you know, I, I don't know how much control Todd Howard has over the development of Fallout 76. It's and, probably limited. I mean, the, it's an, he's an easy person to attack because he's the public face. He's, he's the public face. He's right. the guy who goes out on stage at E3 and, uh, they show these really amazing trailers and they promise, um, games that are of, you know, such a high quality. They set a high bar for themselves that when they don't make it, uh, it uh, the outrage uh, surrounding it just kind of gets pointed directly at him. Yeah, if you want to have an interesting uh, do do an interesting kind of dark side of the moon over uh, uh, the Wizard of Oz kind of experiment, uh, watch Bethesda's E3 presentation this year, and then take that clip that that South Park BP oil spill where they're like, "We're sorry," yeah. and just overlay the two like every like every five minutes just overlay the we're sorry guy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's like beat for beat it lines up perfectly because the bethesda presentation was like we know that you didn't like some of the stuff we did and we don't have any F- sky or elder scrolls 6 or starfield news so we're sorry but here's some <laughs> other stuff yeah. and then they were like doom eternal it's all we have and i was like woo but they were like a rage 2 it was like we got new rage 2 dlc and i was like didn't that game come out like last week it sucked yeah, that's a different story, but it's like, you know, and then they were like, Fallout 76 has all this information, and it's so funny because I had to prep us for Fallout 76 being like, okay, we know you all hate it. Like, everyone doesn't like this game, but we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. <laughs> like, and, and, and then they, they, I, that's why I was kind of hopeful was because they were like kind of showing these things. I was like, this is what we want from Fallout 76. And then this comes out and it's just like such, that's the swan song of the game is this hundred dollar a year pass. And you know that the reason they're selling a hundred dollar a year pass is because they're hoping people buy it, and they're going to stop supporting the game in like three months, and then they're not going to get a refund. That's not going to happen. But I, I will say, just for the sake of being fair and balanced, um, the cost they said the reason why it's thirteen dollars a month is for the cost of hosting a private server mm-hmm. because they need like money to run the servers, which I understand. That being said. The fact that these private servers might not even be private because people are finding NPCs dead and things looted when they get there is like highly suspicious, which would completely undermine their entire purpose behind, you know, the, their stated reason for why it's so expensive. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I just, I, I really wanted to, oh, right. So, but there is a silver lining to this. 
which is that the internet and everyone that knows about it is exploding, which is always fun. Uh, first off, the Fallout 76 subreddit, which I have been on for a very long time, just checking out new updates to the game, seeing what's happening, is like, we were the only positive people, and we are done. Like, Reddit is known for being, in a, in a climate of overt positivity, Reddit is always negative. If your game is shit, the Reddit will always be positive. That's just kind of like how it works. Reddit, the the Fallout 76 subreddit for a long time was the caveman in 2001 Space Odyssey. And then this update is the monolith that landed that made them all go apeshit. Yeah. No, I would say that the the uh, it's the allegory of the cave, Fallout 76. It's oh, like man. everyone in Fallout <laughs> 76 world is like judging everything based on the lens of Fallout 76. That's better. And they've never seen outside. And um, this is like where in the cave, instead of getting like gruel, like someone's just shitting in their throat. And they're like, even for someone that's only been shit in my mouth my whole life, this is ridiculous. Yeah, this, is, this, is, this seems off. <laughs> yeah, this is like the extra nutty poop of, of the shit swill that these people have been eating. And... Um, it's it's so it's so it's it this is just this is wonderful. It's perfect. You're talking about the uh falloutfirst.com, right? Well, yes, then there's the next thing which is falloutfirst.com. Trevor, yeah. you want to talk about falloutfirst.com? Well, it seems that uh Bethesda yet again dropped the ball, you know, as they do as uh they've been known to do in the past. Uh they forgot to buy the UR the domain name um Fallout First or you know, falloutfirst.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it seems like someone from either Reddit or someone online, you know, a fan bought that and, uh, just made a parody, uh, a parody site of what their, uh, initial launch was. And it's, uh, yeah, they, it's just them going through detailing like we did today, just talking about, you know, how, uh, this new update just says it's a big fuck you to, um, People who have been playing the game, Fallout fans in general. Yeah, it says uh, the, the name of the pass is Fallout Fuck You First. Yes. and uh, Which is pretty fitting. Uh-huh. Yep, it comes with a golden ticket. It says, uh, yeah. First member fucked. First member fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and Vault Boy, you know, smiling away. Yeah. Right. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty glorious. If you have the chance to check it out, you definitely should. And... Um, I just, I love the, like, this is far long after the failure of Fallout 76 has, like, come and gone. These are the moments that will make it all worthwhile. And I know it's hard for the people that are slaving away at their keyboards right now at Bethesda to uh, to see that shite, shite, bright, shiny future. <laughs> the shiny future. The shite future. The shiny future. Um, but it will, one day, you'll be able to look back on all this and go... Yeah, I, uh, that was fun. I worked on Fallout seventy six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like um, I imagine it's it's a very similar to how you know in in the nineteen uh, uh, you know seventies you could find an old German man and an old French man sitting at a cafe talking about the, their time in Verdun and being like, ah, oh, yes. I, t- I too, I too was there. I remember, and they just share they share this kind of. This gallows respect, this camaraderie of the, of the horror, but that's going to be all the Fallout seventy six developers. I'm a veteran of the console wars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I. Um, anyways, uh, does anyone have any uh, beautiful insights to add to this? Remy, do you want to uh, come to the defense of capitalism again? 
Well, I don't know. This this might be, uh, you know, want to come to the defense of capitalism. All right, sure. So <laughs> you probably have a lot of dumb people managing the money on this project. And by dumb people, I mean people who look at it and say, well, this game didn't sell very well because we gave you a certain budget and you kept it within the budget by using the same engine as the previous game. But that kept forward all the problems you had with the previous game. And it's an unwieldy engine for what we're trying to make it do. So it's got a shit ton of bugs. Mm-hmm. So it's released. Not very many people like it because it's got a ton of bugs. It doesn't do what it's promised to do. It can't do it because it's not on an engine that allows it to do what it's purported to do. And so it doesn't make a lot of money. And so those same people go up to them and say, well, we don't want to give you a lot of money because this thing is not profitable. We're going to give you enough money to try and do something to make it profitable. And if it's not profitable, we're not going to support you at all. We're, we're done with this. So they come up with a couple small standard features, put a $100 a year price tag on it because they're really hoping just to get a small percentage of the people who are still playing the game and will continue playing the game forever, the whales, in order to buy it so that they can make a profit, bring it back to these people and say, okay, we'll keep you on, but it's still not very profitable, so try to figure out another way to make it profitable. No, I get that. And it's like you said, it's all it's all comes back to the bottom line of, of the business. And I, But here's the thing. All of the complaints I just mentioned had nothing to do with the engine. I wasn't saying the combat was too clunky. It didn't fit in this open world design. The VAT system didn't work for what we were trying to do in multiplayer. What I was talking about was fundamental problems in the design. So you can say something along the lines of, oh, well, the reason that your inventory had a certain cap is because of server limitations and, you know, player data or whatever. But the fact that now you can, but if you pay, just shows that like that isn't a, an inherent issue with the engine. That was something that they were just deliberately not adding into the game with hopes that later they could charge for it. I think, I mean, from what you were telling us, like all these features not only are placed in the game in a, a pretty bad way, but they don't even work. So I wonder whether or not that's true. I wonder if the engine can even do something as simple as what we think is an inventory space that like handles you logging off and logging back on. When in fact they're they're trying to shove this square peg into a round shaped hole of an engine. In and which th- case they're selling something that they're not doing that. Like they're either selling something that they can't do and they're lying to people, or they could do it but they were waiting to charge for it. Right. Well, no one is going to leave the company and then like have a huge giant blog post talking about all the horrible decisions they make because if you do that. Anyone looks at hiring you for their video game studio and says, I don't want this guy in. We have to make hard choices when hard choices come our ways, too. I don't want him quitting and then bitching about it. No, but I'm so for what you're talking about with you're saying, like, okay, they need to, like, make money. So they're trying to get their last few whales. I totally get that. But, like, the way that you would institute that battle pass is, hey, you get 50% more experience. And you get, like, this cool, I guess they did add the armor. But you don't add, like, basic gameplay features. If that's all that they can add, then yeah. maybe that, that's what they do. Well, but they can add more. I mean, you know, what is the inventory now? Like 800, you said? Oh, I, I haven't played since they upped it to 400. Okay. Well, you know, it wouldn't be a whole lot. It would actually be zero effort at all to take 400 and then type in an extra zero in a few parts of the code and have 4,000. Uh, no. So I will, I will actually say that when I was first playing, there their stated reason for not having unlimited inventory was because it's it's difficult on the servers and it would like basically make the server crash. Oh well. Yeah, that's not plugging in a number and then it has to work. That's 
it, it's like saying just turn the multiplayer option on in Unity. It, it, it can be more complicated than that. And if you want another jaded response, if they upped it to 1600 on launch, then what the heck are they going to do for next month's update? Well, that's the thing, is why don't they just have the game work at start so they don't get, like, a 20% Metacritic score? Yeah. That's a good idea. Uh, man, I'm sure that that would have been a great option if they were given $10 billion to do that, but producers didn't want to give them $10 billion. Yeah, but this isn't, this isn't fucking... Like, this is a Bethesda game created by Bethesda. This isn't, like, some small studio, you know? And big companies also have lots and lots of problems when it comes to keeping their teams online. That's the biggest problem with Crunch. Crunch is not that, like, the studio is petering away at a great pace, and then once release comes, they suddenly have to demand people stay triple the amount of hours. It's a problem that in, like, the first nine months out of a year, nobody's doing jack shit because nobody wants to make decisions that are going to be overturned after a while. And then in the last three months... They have to finish a game. I mean, if you were going to start talking about industry crunch, like that's an entirely different podcast, you know. Like, we, and, and and you have good points there. Um, what I'm saying is, is that the fact that features now that they are pretending to, they they either are implementing or pretending to implement, uh, it was is is there's there's dishonesty at some point in the process. Yes, and they can't be honest because then they're going to fuck up everything that they got with their stockholders. No stockholder wants the company to come out and say, you know what the problem is. It's at an engine level. No, they said that. They said that when they were first doing the dev block. They said it's at an engine level. Is that the engine... They specifically said, we're trying to get an engine that wasn't built for multiplayer and wasn't built to do this, to do the stuff. Which is why I had so much like leniency towards the project. It's like, I get their problems with working with it. I understood that like you know when I, when I activated this quest and it fucked up, I was just one of like 700,000 people that activated that quest and it worked every other time and they're trying to figure it out. All MMOs are like this when they launch. It doesn't matter how big it is. Like the new World of Warcraft expansion, half the shit's not going to work when it comes out. Again. But what I'm saying is is that their like their fundamental like gameplay problem was that they were trying to deliver on like a false promise. This ability to play with your friends. Uh, have your own servers. Things are that, that they were saying from the start that they would have and then didn't have. And then their reason for not having is saying it's an engine problem. And then now saying that they can do it if you just give $13 a month is like that. That part right there is bullshit. Either they can't do it or they can do it and they're just trying to get you to pay for it. And so to your original question, my defense of the capitalistic free market, I would hope that when Fallout 77 or whatever <laughs> is next – is that everyone remembers not to pledge to the tier that gets them the the dark cola vodka or whatever it is, because they just are going to be paying $500 for a plastic bottle over a bottle of schnapps. Yeah, that's true. If they do, then criticize the dumb fucks who pay for that. Definitely. What, so you, wait, wait, we're supposed to criticize the people that bought a video game? Like, put aside the, 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 uh, the dark rum cola. Why are you so dumb that you bought this game that we falsely advertised? <laughs> Fucking idiots. You should have known better than to trust us. Exactly. Uh, if every time you walk into a store, the store owner spits in your face and you keep going back there, I would have to point out that there are other stores you could go to. But that's the thing I'm saying is that Bethesda isn't a company that's known for spitting in your face. Like, they, they are with this, and they have been, like, more recently, but that's, that's, this is the natural reaction to a, a shift of quality on the consumer side. It's like, we're used to a certain high level of quality. It's like, it's like, let's say that, like, you're, you're going to, um, I don't know, Rami, what's that? SK Donuts, right? Like, it's a really good donut shop. 
It's a donut shop. I will gladly pay, what is it, like $4 donuts for the cronuts there? Fuck it, I'll pay $4 for one of those donuts. They're fucking good. You know? And but if, if one I, of them comes in and starts, like, hitting your nuts like uh, one of those... those uh, Speed boxing bags. Speed bags. Yeah. Well, that's your fault. You shouldn't have known to, to trust this place that you've been going to yeah. for, you know, however many years. It would take it one week. Go back. Look, Bethesda used to be the biggest bully in the playground. They used to be real sharp and fast, and they used to be able to really make a great game. And then they got big, and the industry changed, and creative destruction takes place. Your guys, you want Bethesda to be this this monument that stays alive forever? Well, the you reason don't... I like capitalism is because Bethesda could go the way of THQ. I would love it if the next day I open up a newspaper, it says that Activision has gone completely bankrupt. Because that means we've got a whole new open, vast field of real estate that we little indie devs can rush towards. If Bethesda is not making this product that people want and are willing to pay $100 for a broken-ass thing for the promise that it's going to get basic fixtures to be put in, then I hope that someone goes into Unity, figures out how to do some sort of server thing, makes an island with a bunch of old radiators and washing machines and guns, and then takes some of the feet from under them. Okay, but Remy, let's say that you were going to that donut place. You've been going to it for a long time. You love their donuts. One day you get one. It's filled with cum. You come home. You eat the cum. Do- you take a bite of the cum down. You go, ah, this is cum. You put it down. And, you, you, and then and then you say something bad about it, and your friend is like, hey, man, you shouldn't. You shouldn't know that they have cum donuts now. And you can't criticize them because <laughs> yeah. you paid this I, money, idiot. I never idiot. said that the first time you go somewhere, you're <laughs> done. But if you have bought Fallout 76, and you have been... Playing it since last year, and if you have been reading the dev updates, if you've been seeing the reviews, if every time you pull your friends up and say, hey man, let's just do one more raid instance of Fallout 76, it's so fun, and everyone says, dude, we need to talk. No, 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 let me, let me, let me addendum here, Remy, because I know this for a fact about you. Oh, $100 for the battle pass? Okay, sign me up. That's where I say maybe you should take a second look. <laughs> look, Remy, I just know for a fact that if you ate that cum donut and then it turns out six months later that they were selling bloody cum donuts, you'd be like, hey guys, I got a story to tell you. Six months ago, I'm the dude that ate the cum donut, okay? I ate the cum donut of Fallout 76 and now there's the bloody cum donut of the Fallout First Pass and I'm telling everyone about how at one time the cronuts didn't have cum in them and that there was like, oh, there was this great possible future and now it's bloody cum. We, we've come... It, it, it's, it's a progression here that we are discussing the, the fall from grace from good, fluffy pumpkin spice cronuts to bloody cum turrets, okay? This is what we're doing. Well, we're not doing it over Fallout 76's chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not doing it over Fallout 76's chat. And by the way, they can't take my game away. So, <coughs> you don't want to know how I knew this was going to be bad is because it wasn't on Steam. It's not on the Epic Game Store. In order to play Fallout 76, you have to have the Bethesda.net launcher. And I was like, wow, that's... That's not a vote of confidence, is that you're not even releasing it on any other store. But no, this is these are the micro boutiques, the, the, the curated experiences of micro stores that are the way of the future. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, Remy, do you have any uh, other opinions on Bloody Cum Donuts? Uh, there's a lot of other donut shops that will not sell cum donuts. <laughs> and because of that, you shouldn't criticize the cum donut shop. 
All I'm saying, yeah. Putting so many words into my mouth. No, let's be fair. If there was one shop selling cum donuts and it was the only place selling cum donuts and they were advertised the cum donut dispenser, you'd be all on board and letting that shop exist. Yes, I would. As long as what they're not selling is steak frites and that's it because you have cum. Did I say that I want uh, someone to arrest everyone who worked on Bethesda games? No. If you enjoy Fallout 76, go ahead. It's your right to do so. I also don't eat cum donuts. <laughs> uh, that's going to be the... We're going to call this episode Cum Donuts, and uh, people aren't going to understand why until... I'm actually going to cu- cut every part except Remy saying, I don't eat cum donuts. <laughs> Everyone's going to be like, what the fuck is he talking about? We'll isolate that, put it on a soundboard. And like, to be fair, you can't be mad at me because I'm not cutting it to say, I do eat cum donuts. You still don't eat cum donuts, either either if it's part of the discussion or not. That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so everyone... Uh, buy your most recent edition of Fallout 76 when you get your oil changed to Jiffy Lube. It comes with a free oil change. Uh, or, you know, just go ahead and get a Happy Meal with your little novelty toy of uh, Fallout 76. They're just, they're, they can't give them away. And um, join us uh, on our private server. Uh, the server key is all cum donuts. And uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and hunt down some... some uh, Oh fuck! I can't even remember what the bosses in the game are called. Some they're like turd bats. They shit nuclear. Yeah, waste. Mothman's um, dragon. The Mothman's are cool. The dragons, dragons. yeah, like Skyrim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun. The, the boss was uh, the nuke bats or whatever. The the nuke beasts, mm-hmm. f- waste beasts, whatever. They were just reskinned dragons. Yeah, rad bats. Rad. No, or as they rad call bats. them rats. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, why don't you go play uh, play Outer Worlds? That looks really good. Outer Worlds does look good. I'll have a review for that episode. Outer Worlds looks tight. Anyways, thank you for joining us. Up next, we got Jesper Kid, the uh, soundtrack designer for behind games like uh, Assassin's Creed. Uh, he did Borderlands 3. He did the Vermintide 2 soundtracks. So stick with us for that. We'll be back with you after this musical interlude. Welcome back to Real Professional. Uh, I'm here today with Jesper Kidd. He is a uh, composer, producer, all kinds of music stuff, really. Like, you've likely heard his soundtracks before on any number of things. So uh, we'll get into his uh, CV here in a second. But uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. How about you guys? I'm good. I'm just, you know, finished with the uh, lengthy discussion about fallout and looking forward to less some uh, less depre- less depressing uh, discussion here so i'm also joined today by uh trevor smith our senior audio guy at dread xp how you doing hi yeah uh, i'm good good to be here glad to be here yeah yeah no i know that you were excited uh trevor to do this one because uh you were listening to some of the soundtracks and you're more of a audio you don't like the term audiophile because no. it makes you feel weird, but yeah, audiophile sounds too much like pedophile in my mind. Yeah, um, so let's not call you. Let's that. go with music aficionado. Music aficionado. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah. Did you uh, have anything you wanted to start off by asking, or? Um, no. Well, yeah, I've been uh, kind of listening to the back catalog here uh, that Jasper's done, and um, really impressed. I mean, I had hadn't really been paying attention to 
who is necessarily doing the music for some of my favorite games, but lo and behold, it's Jesper coming. It's like all him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. So um, I I don't know. Yeah, I I would just like to talk about maybe. um, Yeah, I mean that's we we can start there. It's that's probably a good place. But you have like an incredible like variety to your catalog. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's, for me, it started um, with really the Hitman games. I think it's what, um, you know, put my name on the map a little bit. Uh, and I was able to do four scores for that. That was a lot of fun. We worked with, you know, big orchestras and choirs. And, and I think we really came up with, with something that's a bit more unique for uh, a game about stealth. And then it became Freedom Fighters and Assassin's Creed. I worked on four Assassin's Creed games. Then it started uh, going into Borderlands. I worked on, have worked on four Borderlands games. Uh, so that's that's all of them. Then it became State of Decay. I've worked on a few of those. You know, Darksiders 2. Started working on the Vermintide series. Just really, like you say, there's a lot of different things. And I've also worked on, on, on films. I've done some, uh, you know, what I think is, is pretty interesting international films. I did a fantasy, a big budget fantasy film for the Chinese market called uh, Chronicles of the Ghostly Tribe. Mm-hmm. And then also recently did a fantasy film, a horror film, and this was an Indian movie that came out last year. And, and that one was a very unusual movie as well. So I'm Yeah, Tumbad, right? Right, Tumbad. I'm, I'm all over the place, man. Yeah. Dude, and I will say um, it's funny because you're the like the PR contact that you, you work with originally reached out to us because it's like the one year anniversary of Tombod, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen this before, and there's like a lot of like Indian, like East Asian horror films that will just like kind of like drop onto Amazon Prime, and uh, that one was like <laughs> I was surprised because they're usually like not the best, but this one was really really solid, and cool. um, that's kind of the thing is that like a lot of the projects you're associated with are. You know, usually when you promote the soundtrack on a game, it's a lot of these indie games where they have like a really talented person working on the soundtrack, but they don't uh, necessarily like it's not necessarily like the focus. Uh, Whereas you work on a lot of these like really big, like well-known titles. And I'm just kind of curious when you're working on like a, a soundtrack for something like that, is the pressure higher because it's such a big production or is it lower because like people are going to be focused on other things. How do you fit in into the production? It's hard to say that the pressure would be, be, be lower when you're working on a big title like that, because obviously you're, you're, you're seeing, you know, the marketing and you're still working on the soundtrack and it does add a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of pressure, especially when you, you, you see the response from people and you know, this is something that people are really looking forward to. But again, I think that's a really, um, it's, you know, when working, with the team on these projects, we do not pay attention to the marketing as far as the music we're creating. You know, so it doesn't really um, affect the production. It's just you usually work, you know, with um, an audio department that has more, uh, you know, is a bigger team or has more capacities. That you know, you can put some music in the game, and, and they can send you a video. They can show you how it works in the game meaning there's people, you know, that, that can pull these resources together. So that's really helpful. Other times when it's more indie titles, um, 
you know, you, it might just be a, a one or two people in the audio department, you know, and so you work, you work with that. Um, but I really enjoy both. There, there's definitely a lot of, you know, good things about having a, a variety of, um, you know, ideas and, uh, you know, the, you know, having to to work with when you work on independent, you, there's there's also uh, more of um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say there, there's more creativity, but you know, when you work on uh, on a sequel or the or the third one in a series, you've established something already, and you also have to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. You know, but then at the same time, you're thinking, how can we take what we have and and, and push it further? So th- there's lots of different ways to to think about these things. Yeah, you're thinking of a delicate way to say that there's like less constraints working with indie because you know when you have a big established franchise, you have expectations. You know. Right. Yeah. Did you? Uh, you said that earlier when I was talking to you about this that you had you wanted to know about like the synth versus the the orchestral. Uh, certainly. I mean, well, there's just such a variety of uh, games, even that um, you know. For instance, going from uh, Darksiders 2 to going to working on Borderlands 3, which are very different games, very different vibes. Um, I imagine that um, creating music for uh, those games, uh, the that the production side of things uh, probably varies a little bit. Like you know, uh, creating music for a future dystopian shooter versus. Uh, hack and slash, like, um, you know, sort of religious sort of angle. So, yeah, how, how does the, the production side of things uh, kind of change from project to project? Well, you're always looking for what is the essence of this project you're working on? How do we want this to feel? You know, so, so in that sense, most projects are, you know, similar you know, you're looking for that. What what is that sound that really going to fit perfectly for the game to enhance and deepen the game experience? I mean, Darksiders two. Uh, I was I was asked by the developer to do a fantasy score that hadn't been heard before. They wanted something really unusual, which is actually, you know, simple question. Do something no one's ever done. Just do it. Well, you know, that's actually my favorite kind of thing to work on. I think that's kind of. Um, what I've made uh, uh, perhaps a reputation, but I certainly feel like that's the majority of my titles that I've, that I've worked on. So for me, that means um, this is going to be a lot of fun, uh, but it's certainly also, um, I would say I put a ton of pressure on myself when I'm in a situation like that, because I take that quite serious. You know, I want to deliver something where they're like, oh, okay, what is this? You know? Um, Definitely. And so with, with Darksiders 2, um, you know, the main character is this is death, right? That's mm-hmm. the character you play. Mm-hmm. So you, I guess, immediately normal thing is to start thinking about something really dark and and gloomy and perhaps gothic or something like this. But I wanted to take the opposite approach, and the developer was totally on board with this too. So the idea there is to give death more of, uh, you know, to focus on the environment that we're in and we are in the afterlife and we see death and all the figures you know communicating and and making moves in the afterlife so i thought okay this needs to be scored for more of a afterlife kind of experience so we can get this kind of you you mentioned religious experience um i'm not sure i i call it more of a spiritual experience 
um, where the music connects and, and feels really deep. Um, and the funny thing is with Darkseid is people totally got it. You know, we put it in the game and, and people are like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what you're aiming for. So, so that was really cool that we were able to get that in there and, and you know, we're able to get something different. And as far as Borderlands, that is such a, that's such a crazy franchise. You know, they, things are just turned out to 11 everywhere in Borderlands. And uh, the fine line there is trying to get some of the, you know, be aware of the humor that's in the game, but don't play to it, you know, too much. So I have small little things I've worked into the music where it kind of can, can make a little fun of things, but it never really, I mean, it never takes over the music. It's always just in the details. Like there's a big boss battle at the end of uh, a planet called Eden 6. And it's like there's this giant piece of music playing for this big boss, and it's very heavy and grinding and very, you know, bombastic. And I have a little, you know, so it's like, and then I have a little organ, you know, and then, you know, just all things like that. But you're like, that's right. You know, we're crazy. Here you go. You're welcome. You know? Absolutely. So maybe a little bit more, more humor, a little bit more playful versus, you know, something where you're trying to create an atmosphere of tension and, um, Right, but we have to be very careful of that balance because we figured out early on with the first game that if we played to the humor, uh, it just became it just it just wasn't Borderlands anymore. It didn't feel like Borderlands. It became too you know too comedic. Right. So so I so like ninety five percent of the music are very serious, as it should be, um, but to have little element kind of here and there, you know, to kind of um, be aware of. Uh, how quirky everything is that that's that's kind of like what we're trying to aim at hmm. so I'm, I'm curious when they when they when you get brought onto a project do they set down saying like hey we want a synth score for this versus an orchestral score versus whatever and then like give you basic guidelines like what are when you when you get brought on what's the the, the package they give to you that you then mold into what you give back to them well we we discuss things a lot about what is there anything that the team is expecting this to sound like, or are we just going to are we going to just start experimenting and see where it goes, and then based on feedback, we're going to hone in, you know, the music style. Uh, so there's definitely many different ways to do it. When you have a um, like an orchestral score, you have to be a little bit aware that okay, we need an orchestral budget for an orchestral score. You know, do we have a live choir? Do we have a live um, you know, orchestra, how big is the orchestra, where we're going to record it. So it's definitely helpful to be aware of all these things when you get started if you're working on an orchestral score. Mm-hmm. And I also, I would write things a little differently if I knew that they were going to be formed by a live orchestra versus, you know, having orchestral elements mixed up with um, electronics and synthesizers. Then I work a lot on the production and make sure that, uh, you know, everything is um, in, a, in a good place because then it's more of a hybrid sound. Um, and, and that definitely needs to be, uh, you know, fleshed out as you write it, I feel, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of, uh, it's interesting you say a hybrid sound, because I was listening to um, just uh, the soundtrack for Vermintide, the Warhammer Vermintide, 
And uh, that was something in which I totally recognized a mixture of um, acoustic uh, rhythms, for instance, uh, acoustic drums with, uh, you know, more synthetic, like electronic instrumentation. And it sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah that, that one is really uh, quite unusual. Um, what The game takes place in the Middle Ages, right? So we um, immediately, one of the rules was not to go overboard with the electronics, but make sure that it sounds like something that could have been recorded in the Middle Ages, but it was like tweaked by some mad professor or inventor or something like that. So, you know, all the live elements in there are, you know, are, are instruments that were around back then that are, that are played totally wrong, you know, uh, or been um, adjusted or modified. And then it's kind of, you know, I see that as like an industrial uh, middle age kind of, uh, not middle age, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but... You know, there's like some kind of industrial sound to that that we that we mixed up with. Um, yeah, I guess Middle Ages. You know. Yeah, yeah, like the dark fantasy of the Warhammer world is like they call it the grim dark. Yeah, something <clears throat> primal. You know. Yeah. Something more medieval. Guitar solos on a on a lute, for instance. Yeah. Something like that. You know what? Actually, I love about Vermintide Two is that, um, and I think I actually interviewed you back when Vermintide Two, uh, back when I was uh, still writing for Dread Central before we split off to Dread XP. You know, just name drop my website here real quick. Um, <coughs> but uh, the uh, when that the, the one of the interesting things about those kinds of games is that the audio cues are actually like super important because you need to know what kind of enemy you're facing. So like. If rat ogres spawn, there's a different sound than if, like, a chaos warband spawns, you know? Right. So, um, just curious, did you also get brought back on to do the musical stuff for when they introduced Beastman into the game? Yes. Um, and that was, um, that, that was a pretty, uh, pretty interesting experience. Um, you know, I remember them playing some really heavy metal drums you know they sent me a couple of clips with some crazy heavy metal drums and said we really like the intensity and the the feel of these drums that just pounding away and so i that was the starting point of of that beastman dlc and that was then brought back into the world of the uh the the percussion instruments that we use for for vermintide and uh you know, that's where we started with that. That was really an interesting, um, you know, idea. I love, I love that idea, and I really, I try to run with that. So I, I'm kind of curious, and I'm not talking about specifically Vermintide 2's DLC here, but if you're working on a project, and let's say that Borderlands 3 um, comes to you, and they're like, here's the budget for an orchestral score, and then they have a DLC pack coming out with a smaller budget, and they say, make something like what you did, but we don't have the budget for that anymore. Has that ever happened to you, and how do you overcome that problem? Yes, that, that does happen. Um, I remember after I wrote the music for Assassin's Creed 2, um, that was recorded at Capitol Records with a large string section and a, uh, a fe- all-female choir and a bunch of soloists and um you know so that that we went um all out and um everything we needed was on there then the next assassin's creed game was called assassin's creed brotherhood um and the budget the live budget was caught in like i think a third or something like that Mm -hmm. um so i was lucky in a sense that the the story and the content for assassin's creed brotherhood 
went to a much darker place, and it, it made sense to record um, a lot of you know solo instruments. Hmm. But I was still, you know, immediately thinking, how are we going to follow up Assassin's Creed Two when we don't have access to um, a live orchestra? Um, so that was definitely one of the challenges on Brotherhood to, um, uh, you know, to, to deal with the, I don't know, the expectations, I guess, of um, the sound of Assassin's Creed 2. Mm-hmm. Trevor, you got any follow-up uh, music questions? Um, I might want to take it in a different direction and uh, ask you more about your um, electronic side of, uh, it seeming, of your, of your world, of your of production. Um, and uh, maybe just ask about influences, because um, especially in the Borderlands 3 soundtrack and going all the way back to um, things like uh, the Freedom Fighters soundtrack, uh, it seems like that they're, they kind of incorporate current trends in electronic music. And uh, I was just aware, uh, uh, wondering about how aware you are of um, cur- current, current trends in music and how do you incorporate that into your uh, production style? Right, so <clears throat> I would say one of my early influences were artists such as like Vangelis and uh, Jean Michel Char, um, you know, Mike Oldfield, and mm-hmm. um, these these type of performers. And even going further back, I was very much influenced by stuff on on the older uh, computers such as Commodore sixty four and Amiga when they first started making game music. I thought this was a really interesting world. I had never heard any music like this, you know, because yeah. they put like an analog synthesizer chip inside the Commodore 64, and I was like, totally, whoa, what is this? Um, that's what's called sit music these days, chip music, I guess. Yeah, chip tune, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's still there, you know? It's, uh-huh. <laughs> it's incredible after all these years. Yeah. You know, that, that machine came out in, what, 83 or something, so. You know, and so, and, and later, uh, I don't know, I listened to band like bands like uh, The Knife or Reichsop or anything like this, but it's it's funny because when you're writing music, it's also very important not to listen to too many things because you don't want that music to find its way into the music you're writing. Mm. So I tend to do a lot of research in the the style and the the time period as well that I'm working in, and be fully aware of of how people composed back then and the techniques and all these kind of things. And then once I've researched all that, I put it aside and then. I do my own thing, kind of my own interpretation of it. Um, so, so for a lot of the scores, I wouldn't say there's anything uh, you know heavily influenced. Um, I also, you know, love to listen to classical music. You, you know, Stravinsky always comes up. Yeah, I really love music. As far as like the influences, I think it's it's just good to be aware of what's going on. You know, I cert- when Skrillex first happened, I was certainly like, yeah, that's something uh, pretty new happening right there. You know, and. Sure. Um, it's it's always good to be aware of it, and I'm always um, really interested in new music and new styles of music that come out. Um, I love listening to world music as well. Um, so you know, just listening to it. Oh, and also, of course, since I've done so much electronic music, I grew up with DJ compilations and and just you know going to raves and, mm-hmm. and just embracing that whole world as well. I love the. The, the intensity and the pulses that is in so much dance music, you know? Hell yeah. Yeah, I was supposed to go to uh, Escape this weekend. You're familiar with that? I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, it's one of the Insomniac events. Like, I'm sure you're familiar right. with EDC, the Electric Daisy Carnival and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah, so they, there's a Halloween-themed uh, rave going on this weekend that I just won't be able to get to because I didn't want to drive to it. And I have to interview you. So I was like, hey, this is a good <laughs> excuse to not drive six hours. Definitely. I still haven't made it to Burning Man. That's on my bucket list. I mean, it's it's the, the thing about Burning Man is that it's like the budget that you have set out is never going to cover the amount of acid that you need. So you just like need another $1,000 in acid budget uh-huh. to, to make sure that you have a proper Burning Man experience. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, there was a question I was, I was going to ask about uh, the, uh, the video game music stuff, but then I remembered all my experiences at Burning Man and Raves, and now my, my mind is back in the fourth dimension. <laughs> An acid flashback. Just yeah. To it's all hitting me at once. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's pretty gnarly, which is good. You know, it's, it's a good mindset to be in for a podcast. Trevor? I guess um, just a, a basic question. Um, uh, what is uh, one of the favorite projects that you've, that you've worked on? Um, if you have a favorite, something that stands out? Well, usually it is my uh, latest project. Uh, I try to go all in on each project. So I would say Tumbad is probably one of my favorite projects I've worked on. It was just, it was so much fun figuring out that music style because, you know, we had, there was like no reference to what that should sound like, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we had to just invent stuff completely. I feel from scratch there. Um, I mean, that's, like I've mentioned, I've done that quite a bit for, well, I've done that for most of my scores, actually, but that's when I felt like all my years of composing music for video games really paid off, and, uh, you know, I thought, this score sounds the way it does because of the music I've done in video games, so it was actually a huge benefit, um, and again, I think it has to do with 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 me having worked on so many, um, you know, fantasy or sci-fi projects it's something that in the video game industry you get to um i feel i get to work on quite a lot you know when you're working with with film you know those projects don't come along every time you know um so yeah i would have to say um tomb bad but of course it was also lots of fun working on the 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 hitman games i was um you know i grew up with the founders of io interactive the makers of the the hitman games so um, there was a lot of trust in, installed in that, um, and and so they really encouraged me to to push myself as as, as much as I could. So there was always this very um, kind of it was a kind of like a, a family feeling of just uh, you know how how far can we take this music? Um, and Assassin's Creed Two was also really special. We we all felt we were working on on something really really special on that. There was like a some kind of electricity and uh, you know in the with with the team that I that we, I think we all felt that this was something special. So, is there any particular instrument that you like really like to play with that you'd actually like to play with more? Like, I've I've kind of developed a mild like obsession with hurdy gurdy stuff because mm-hmm. cool. it's just so like such a weird sound. Right. And so, is there any like instrument that you'd like to be able to play around with more, but you just like haven't figured a way to like? I love drone. You know, drone instruments are, are so much fun. I love those. Um, I have been playing quite a lot of Dulcimer lately. I have a huge Russian Dulcimer, which I was able to put in Borderlands 3 uh, and Tombad. Um, that has been quite fun. It, it's a different world when you, you know, it's not like a synthesizer. You just fire it up and, uh, you know, it turns on and it's ready to play. Uh, you know, you have to tune it and you, you spend like, you know, half an hour just tuning it before you, you, you can even start playing. Uh, but that thing is quite fun. 
you, do you ever find yourself like writing a part for something into like a piece just so you can like justify the budget to get it like i need an industrial didgeridoo like i just need it i need it for the song you gotta buy me one now <laughs> i don't know i mean i remember for borderlands 3 i was like uh yeah you know lap steel guitar this is this is the way to go and uh, so I got this really nice lap steel guitar, um, and and then as I'm writing it, it just becomes apparent that we're trying that that we were going to do something where, you know, what you were expecting this to sound like. Well, guess what? We're going to make sure it doesn't sound like that. And that's something that I was definitely a big. Uh, I, I pushed for that too, and and the, the you know audio director Racing Warner, uh, he was totally on, on board with that as well. So I didn't end up using that instrument very much, but it, it you know, it felt like uh, the right kind of purchase at, at, at purchase at the time, you know. But do you, you get know? to keep those instruments, or does the studio keep them? No, no, I get to keep them because I buy them myself. Oh, you know? like, but the, so the company doesn't like budget it for you? Like, you have to buy it with your own money? Yes, correct. I mean, <sighs> you know, because I am going to keep that thing, you know. Um, and so, I mean, you know, there's there's live budgets, but they usually, I mean, they include like you know solo performers. So I could, I you know, so I could do, you know, I I could look at it like this. You know, how many performances does it take versus buying that guitar and then practicing it yourself? You know? Yeah, but, but it's. I mean, we didn't get into this industry to not buy the toys we want. You know. Well, I think it's it's good to understand, you know, the. The instruments you're writing for, it's good to understand how they work. I don't necessarily need to be any good at playing a lap steel guitar, uh, but it certainly gives me ideas about things. And then if I need a really, you know, awesome lap steel guitar performance, I'd rather call a professional yeah. anyway. You know, I'm just messing around and, and trying to um, come up with, with, with weird stuff. But it is fun, though. Like, you're having a good time. It's definitely. It, it, it is fun. Yeah. Yeah, Trevor, did you have any more questions about the specific music before I move on to kind of phase two, the, the, the human, humanitarian piece? Mostly just one. Uh, I remember vividly playing uh, Borderlands 3 and having uh, just kind of wandering around Jacob's estate. And right. uh, all of a sudden, a boss battle comes on and then just like a really like heavy metal track um, with, uh, you know, really sick drums and uh, it just uh, super heavy. So how often do you work with like a rock band or like a, a full band in that sense? Well, that's, uh, that music is actually performed by uh, solo performers. So, you know, I have them in my studio and they're, they're playing along the parts that I've written. Mm -hmm. um, and we, you know, if we have any other ideas, we talk about it and, and stuff like this. And then it's all concocted inside my sequencer. Um, so, in that aspect, it's it's not really. I wouldn't say it's a rock band since I'm responsible for the drums and for everything else. Um, but the idea of working with a rock band is pretty cool. It would certainly need to be the right kind of project for that kind of sound. You know. Definitely. Cool. Glad you like that music, though. That's cool. So um, I actually have some questions about like you as like a as a person because. Um, you know, this is this is a really interesting job that you have, and you're in a really interesting spot in the industry. I mean, when you first started getting into music, did you have the idea that you wanted to make video game music eventually? Like, what was your... How did you get into music in general? You know, my, my folks... Uh, I grew up in Denmark right outside Copenhagen, and we had a piano at our house. And I have a large family on both my mom's and dad's side. And we would go see these uh, this 
you know, we would go see them often, and everywhere I went, every single where I went, everybody had a piano. It was really weird. So I was always around a piano growing up, and I suddenly just find myself, uh, you know, sitting at the piano, uh, trying to figure out this instrument. And as I became a little older, I started studying some classical composition on, on the piano, uh, you know, on my uh, spare time. So I'm mostly, you know, but I don't have an education, music education, I'm mostly self-taught. But that's where it started, I think, for me. And then once I got um, a Commodore 64, I think it was 13 years old, uh, for Christmas, and I was like, okay, this is an instrument, this is, this is a computer where you can actually put songs together you can have like a bass line you can have a, a channel for drums and you can have like some arrangement and then you can have like a melody and suddenly you are uh, concocting like a song you know um, and that was extremely interesting I was making a song every day from the time I was uh, 13 or, or 14 or around that time um, and and basically um, never stopped you know so that mm -hmm. that's when it started and I started playing games on the Commodore 64 and I just couldn't believe this analog sound chip that was inside this computer could create such beautiful music because it was not beat music it was suddenly there was a soul in this music and you could hear the composer put his soul into the music and it just makes it just made me like completely fascinated with this um, and and I think that's where my dream of um, becoming a, a composer um, and working on video games started, um, and then I guess I just ended up pursuing it all the way. I mean, I became the uh, the co-founder of a game company when I was uh, I don't know 18 or something, uh, and I founded this company with my friends. And our first game got sold to Sega, so we moved to the U.S. Uh, we made another I think three games, and um, my friends moved back to Denmark and started IO Interactive. Mm. And so, so when they made Hitman, you were like, they were like, let's talk to you know Jesper over here about you know doing the soundtrack for Hitman. Right, right. I grew up with these guys, so uh, we had we had done a lot of projects by that time. But of course, I'm really thankful that they, uh, you know, they called me back. Um, so yeah, yeah just to start up Hitman. Wow. Yeah. No. That's. I mean, and that's when you when you were saying that you like worked on Hitman. You need to specify that you're talking about like the old Hitman because yes. there is a new Hitman, which is you know video game naming convention now. Is that like you don't need to say like redone? It's just you just do the name over again, <laughs> right? So okay, let's let's specify it. So Hitman One, codename Forty Seven. Yes. And Hitman Two, Silent Assassin. Silent Assassin. Did you Hitman also work on contracts and yeah. Hitman Blood Money? Blood Money. Did you work on Absolution? No, I did not. <laughs> That's why it sucked, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I like Absolution, but you can fight me in the comments about that. So the, the next kind of uh, you know question that I, I I wanted to know is about there's you're you're like well established as a, like a soundtrack guy to the point where if I know that the soundtrack is done by you, I'll be like, oh, this is gonna be a good soundtrack. And there's a certain like other names in the industry, mostly in the JRPG genre, like Akira Toriyama and like people like that, that like people know as being soundtrack people. And there's like kind of this this weird I don't wanna say weird, because that's and every time I refer to JRPGs, I always default to weird and I shouldn't do that anymore. But there's this certain fan base that is like people that are fans of JRPG soundtracks, those those video game soundtracks, and then people that are fans of the intellectual property that is the game. 
Um, so when you're making, uh, you're really trying to kind of appease two audiences each time you're making a soundtrack. You're trying to appease the fans of, well, really three audiences, the, the fans of whatever the sound style of that game is, fans of you, and also fans of the game. Uh, how do you balance those expectations? Well, first of all, you have to make sure that what you're writing is something that resonates with the team. Mm. Um, I think that is extremely important. You're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna make it to the end of the project if the team doesn't like your music, but you're trying to convince them that this is what you feel like writing. Right, <laughs> right. Know? Or if you're trying to convince them that I'm sure the gamers would like this, you know, sorry, you guys don't like it. <laughs> you know, we have to come together, and we have to. There has to be a unified vision, and. Um, my vi my vision is of course heavily influenced by the game. The game is 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 everything, and the uh, the story and the atmosphere of the game. And then I, I I you know I present and after we talk about this a lot, I present okay. This is what I think it should sound like, and you know hopefully that's the right direction. If not, we'll talk some more. And then here we go, you know. But I I like to think that if I like something then uh, people that like my music is going to like it. And that's really as far as I can go about that. You know, I have an instinct, and I go with my instinct, yeah. and I can't sit around thinking about what would people probably like. And and for me, that's that's not just this is not the way it works, and that's not how I've been doing things anyway, because I have so much variation of the type of projects I've worked on, from, you know, Vermintide to Assassin's Creed 2 is a vast, I think, difference in, in, in approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I, you know, if, if, if I'm excited about what I'm writing, I, I like to think um, people who like my music would be excited about it too. Now, as far as like what people are expecting from the game, that's a really, that's a really tricky one because, you know, what happened if another composer did the first one and you were on board as the new composer for the second one? You know, you still want to bring your um, approach to the game as well, mm -hmm. you know. But, uh, you know, for most of the games I've, I've, I've done, I have worked on quite a few in the series. And then, you know, we have to, of course, be fully aware of what we did with the previous soundtracks and what is the style of the game. And then once we have, you know, when we know what the style is, then you can start putting a lot of work on, on uh, you know, on top of that and trying to expand that style. Yeah. That's really interesting that it's like kind of more of a collaborative process. Like you can't really be a Kanye about it and be like trying to pretend to drop the same album for like six weeks on end. Did, did Jesus is King finally drop? Has anyone figured uh, that out? Coming soon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what? Oh, it dropped today. Yeah, oh my God, we're so relevant. I guess you can date this when we recorded it by the fact that Jesus is King dropped today. So, uh, but the, you know, the interesting thing, you know, when you're saying this kind of the collaborative process is that, we, we've kind of gotten to a point where there's people that are fans of video game soundtracks, but that's always been like its own kind of entity. Like Mega Man fits in with the theme of Mega Man and it's like a cool soundtrack. But like you can play Mega Man on mute and get a lot of the same gameplay experience. Whereas certain other titles, um, I'm thinking of like kind of Max Payne 3 specifically. It's like if you don't have the soundtrack for many of those scenes in the game, it's, it's like it completely loses all of its win. And we're starting to see these developers that are more conscious of this kind of uh, universal approach to game design, where you have to be aware of what the player's emotive experience is at every, every moment. 
And I'm just kind of curious what your your opinion is on that. And you mentioned this Borderlands 3 boss fight music that you had made. So, you know, when you're approaching creating the song, are you imagining what the player's feeling? How do you go about that? Uh, very much so. I mean, I am a gamer myself. One of the ways I like to think about things when writing uh, for a game is to think what would the gamer really love to uh, you know, to happen next as far as, um, you know, the music. I love creating surprises in the music where it doesn't necessarily go where you think it should go, but because I, I, I could be like, hey, I have a better idea, you know, and then I'm going to try to, uh, you know, convince you that this is a better idea, you know, and here's something surprising. And, and I find as a gamer, of course, it has to fit the game, no question. Mm -hmm. But whenever you're able to do something it, like that, it, it it feels a little bit more fresh, you know? It becomes more entertaining when you're able to write something that that deepens the world in a way that you wouldn't expect it. When you can get to those places where you're surprised, I feel that's a way to, to somehow go a little bit deeper, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and it also makes people care about the game because we're always... You know, it's almost fan service. I feel when you when you have those thoughts, you you gotta just you know we're we're doing everything we can to entertain you. Um, you know, I, I guess this is just kind of a fun wrap up question. You know, are there any games that you would like to work on? Any series that you've been playing and been like, okay, two parts of this question. First, any games you've been playing, you're like, God, I would really love to make the soundtrack for this. And second part, are there any soundtracks you've been like playing a game, been like, God, this guy didn't know what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't um, think of it di like that. Um, you know, I I'm very um, thrilled about the the projects I'm working on, I, which I, I I can't announce yet. So, um, so I, I just I just put everything into those. Um, don't really sit around thinking. I wish I could have worked on that. Um, that that's just not how my my brain works. Mm -hmm. Okay. I do I do love one of my favorite games recently was. Oh, What's that underworld, open world game? Um, why can't I remember it? It's um, hmm. anyway. It, I'm not it, sure. What was the gameplay style? Well, it's underworld. It's underwater, right? The whole game is underwater. Oh, Subnautica. Subnautica. Yeah, Subnautica. Wow. I mean, that that has to be one of my my favorite games I've played in a while. Um, Agreed. Yeah, and, good. You know, I've never done a score for for for. Um, I've never done an underwater score, so I don't know. That's an interesting one. There must be some interesting approaches you can take on a title like that. Definitely, um, lots of lots of reverb for sure. Yeah, but then you've got to say, but what are people expecting versus what are they not expecting, and then say, mm -hmm. let's do something that's totally unexpected. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's just my DNA right there. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and as for worst soundtrack, who sucks? Who's the worst composer in the industry? You're not going to get me on record saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever does uh, the most recent Assassin's Creed stuff, they suck. No, I'm just kidding. I don't uh, I don't I don't really look at it. Uh, yeah, I don't I'm I'm not a hater. That that's for sure. Yeah? I respect that. No, that's 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 but it must be a different experience for like you to go to like a concert when someone's, you know, not so great cuz you know, for the fans it's just like, "Ah, eh, that wasn't a great show." But you're like you can you can tell them why they're bad. <laughs> well, I mean, when I play games and, uh, you know, I'm just thinking, um, you know, I, I do things differently. That That's all it is. Um, mm -hmm. And that's like that 
with with all my projects. And honestly, if I played a game and I, let's say you know the music didn't resonate with me or whatever, I still wouldn't know necessarily what I would have done different because it's such a deep process. Once you get on board a game, you know that that you have to really, you know, I would spend a long time trying to figure out what what could be done, you know. And you never know the situation either when you have a a, a movie come out and you're like, wow, what the you know what's with this movie you don't know what the team went through there could have been budget cuts there could have been you know um, uh, all kinds of uh, restraints as far as like the time you had uh, you know you you don't mm -hmm. have the full picture and until you have that full picture you can't really your, your approach is much too mature and nuanced these are video game markets you should be constantly trashing people angrily that's that's <laughs> I don't know if you've been on the internet lately, but the way that we all communicate is we just like hurl slurs at each other all the time. So. Start a flame war. Yeah. yeah, start a flame war. So. Yeah, that's real nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know if you've ever considered starting a flame war, but it would boost your Twitter followers something, something crazy. <laughs> Uh, no, I've never considered that. Yeah, you should uh, run it by your press contact. Be like, hey, have you considered, you know, your whatever, whoever your representative is, be like, right. have you considered, you know, just starting a flame war for you? Or, oh, you know, a fake marriage. That'd be good, too. <laughs> I am just way too busy with the music to just even, you know, pay attention to that stuff. See, but you need to care less about your craft and more about your image. There you go. Yeah. Stop <laughs> worrying about the music quality. What are you doing? Yeah, that's clearly the wrong way to go about this industry. I don't know if you've seen these SoundCloud rappers, so maybe you need a face tattoo, Does that develop a Xanax addiction, things like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your favorite SoundCloud rapper? <laughs> oh, my God. I got no answer to that. Yeah, yeah. That's what all the kids are listening to nowadays. Uh, depression rap, too. Apparently, rap used to be about like how hard you were, and now it's just about how like sometimes you get sad and your parents didn't understand. Mm -hmm. it's, pretty, it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> rest yeah. in peace. Uh, XXX. XXX Tentacion. Yeah, yeah, rest in peace. Yep. Anyways, um, yeah, I guess there's a lot less risk of getting shot in your line of music, the music world, huh? Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, though I am, you know, mostly known for working on, you know, assassination titles, right? I guess yeah. I've done eight Spl of them. Splinter Cell, yeah. Yeah, that's that'd be crazy if like uh, the, the Splinter Cell office like rolls by your your studio <laughs> and they like just like pop caps into it and been like Splinter yeah. Cell for life, number one stealth game. You're in the studio. You have your night vision goggles on. Yeah. 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 Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's the idea for your 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 biography, the the secret life of. I'll put my VR headset on and I'll just write music that way, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the future, man. <laughs> That'd be dope. That's super cool. <laughs> Anyways, Jesper, thank you so much for coming on today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, this I think was... I, I saw you at E3, this last E3, um, because I remember looking, uh, you were being led around by your, your press concert. Are you, like, freakishly tall? I'm pretty tall. Yeah, six foot four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely, around, I'm around like there this too. tall, yeah, we're, skinny, we're tall brothers. Yeah, this very right. tall, skinny man. And I was like, I wonder if that's the 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 other tall, skinny man that I recently talked to about other video game stuff. So, next E3, uh, you should we should uh, get drinks, and I'll turn off my um, recorder, and you can tell me about all the bad composers that you couldn't <laughs> talk about on the podcast. Bad composers. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have incredible composers in this industry. I mean, I, I really do. Uh, yep, they're all good. There's no bad ones. Oh. <laughs> Everyone's perfect. You are right. Like, Don't worry. A, your your official your official image is maintained. It's it's not until I 
I, I ply you with with free free snacks that uh, will get you to open up about the uh, the bad ones, which no one will ever hear. I won't. I definitely won't be having my micro recorder in my pocket. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for coming on today, man. Um, it was great, cool. great hearing for you. Thanks, Jasper. Yep. Uh, you can check out all of his uh, sick tracks on uh, Spotify. Spotify. Uh, do, do you have any albums that dropped recently you want to pitch real quick? Yeah, Vermintide 1 and 2 just got re-released. Uh, so they're out again. And the Borderlands 3 soundtrack is coming out very, very, very soon. Looking forward to it. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so check those out. Go buy... But buy like bought all of them, but anything, mm-hmm. anything that has his name on it, just throw your money at and buy some for your friends too. whatever. What are you doing <laughs> with your money? And the Hitman actually, uh, the, the Hitman games I worked on are actually coming out on vinyl as well. So there's a oh, four LP set that's on the way. That's actually super dope. Awesome. And with that phone going off in the background, we're going to we will use that as our, uh, <laughs> our our call to end it. So once again, Jesper, thank you. Check out his stuff. Uh, wherever music is sold, iTunes, SoundCloud, the vinyls, I'm guessing you're going to have to buy those in person. I don't think you can download a vinyl. I don't know how music works. This order, is why I have Trevor here. Order them online, yeah. <coughs> yeah, so... Um, print them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 3D print them. That'd be, <laughs> don't do that, though, because that's stealing. Uh, Jesper, uh, yeah, sorry, Jesper. I always say Jesper because there's a J there, but it's, it's pronounced Jesper because you're, um, uh, you know, from Europe. Uh-huh. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll talk again at some point when you come out with another super cool soundtrack. So get back to work. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, let me know when you, when you, know, when you can announce what your new project is. Cool. I'll uh, let you know. All righty. And uh, for the rest of you, thank you so much for joining us for uh, Real Professional. And uh, bye. Bye. We move people between, between projects right. now. But... Is it, is it still one team under you, or...? Well, that's a tricky answer, and... Well, that's a tricky answer, and... In terms of... We had sort of done that when we got Fallout. We had some people on Fallout, and then on Elder Scrolls, and then... Well, 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 that's a tricky answer, and...